0: Amen. Well, it is such a joy to be up here um, with you guys celebrating Christmas Eve this evening. And um, tonight, normally we might look at a passage in either Luke or or Matthew because that's where we normally see, you know, the details of the Christmas story of the the birth of Jesus. Uh, But instead, we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John tonight. And John doesn't give us any kind of historical account of Jesus being born. But what he does is he in a, in a very mysterious way that's kind of high and above us, above all of us. He gives us this eternal perspective on Christmas. It's sort of a, a 30 trillion foot view of what is going on with Father, Son, and Spirit, you know, as they, as they just do this miraculous thing where, where Jesus comes at Christmas. And so we're going to start just reading John uh, one, one through three, and then we'll read some more as we as we go along. Um, it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made." So we're introduced to someone called the Word in these first three verses, and uh, in the Greek. That word is, is, is the word logos, uh, which is where we get the word logic or logical. And they believed that there was this sort of ultimate kind of impersonal force that, that undergirded everything in the universe. It was like this, this force that, that held everything together and, and brought order to the universe. And, you know, it was, it was not unlike what we think of in Star Wars with the force, you know, it's... it's I don't think the Greeks did Jedi mind tricks, but it was the same kind of idea. You know, May the Logos be with you, that, that kind of thing. So um, so John, the author of, of the Gospel, he comes along, he gets to know Jesus, he walks with Jesus for three years, he, he comes to trust him and believe in him, and, and probably would consider, many would consider John to be Jesus' best friend. He comes along and he says, you know, you Greeks, you have... About 0.1 percent of it right. Like you're 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 hitting on something here with this logos idea. The the big piece that you're missing is that the logos is not a force. Logos is not impersonal. Logos is actually a person. It's the most important person in the universe. His name is Jesus Christ. He says the logos, the word, is the Son of God, and he's called the word because. Jesus is is how we know who God is. He's God revealed to us. When when we think about who is God, what is He like, we, we see God revealed to us in the Word become flesh in Jesus Christ. We also see Jesus as the Word and the fact that it says here in the text that God spoke the universe into existence through Jesus. He says that everything that has been made was made through Him through the Word. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Hebrews 1.3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. So right now, as we sit here on Christmas Eve in beautiful, sunny Florida, Jesus is holding the universe together just by the power of his words. It's, it's incredible to think about this. And then it's even more incredible, it's, it's, it's a stunning miracle of, of, of epic proportions. When you think about that person upon whom everything in the universe depends decided to come and be a baby. 2,000 years ago in a... In a you know, a nothing town. Bethlehem was a nothing town. It was a podunk town. And uh, he was born as a baby. But that's the good news of Christmas, that the Word became flesh. John 1.14, as we go uh, further ahead here in our passage, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we had seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know that word dwelt? is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe uh, God coming and, and being in the tabernacle. It's saying Jesus tabernacled among us. He, you know, The tabernacle in the Old Testament was the place where the, the presence of God came and lived among the Israelites. So Jesus tabernacled among us. Meaning it's, it's supposed to, to draw our minds back to the Old Testament to make us think, okay, yes, now, now I understand. Jesus is the presence of God with us. But not in a way that, you know, it's in a tent where only one person can enter in once a year. No, he, he's the presence of God with us in a person that we can all know. It's amazing. But why did he have to be with us in the first place? Like, Why, why is this even a thing? Why is this a big deal? Why did Jesus have to have to come and... Be born as a baby. I mean, what is the point of this? Well, we need to see that this is the only way, the story of Christmas, this is the only way that any of us can be with God. You know, we all have a lot of problems. Our society is full of all kinds of problems that I don't need to remind you of. We all encounter them in the news or or in actual society, you know, every day. But our greatest problem... I mean, whatever problem you're dealing with right now, I'm sure it's real. I'm sure it's legit. But it's nothing compared to our greatest problem. And I will tell you what that is, I promise. It's that we can't, we can't be with God. We were created to be with God. Not, not just created to serve Him, not just created to, you know, for His enjoyment. We, we were created to actually be with Him. And we can't because of sin. Our sin is, a, is a, it's not just an obstacle to that. It makes it impossible. We cannot be with God because of our sin. And so this is why God took matters into his own hands. He said, since, since humans can't be with me, I'm going to go be with them. And he sent Jesus. It's like the author of life just tears into the pages of hum, of the human story, He inserts himself as a character into his own story that he's writing. He becomes one of his own creations to save us. And that also means this. It means he's accessible to us. Earlier I said that you know, we, we weren't just created to serve him, but to know him. And we can know him now because he's accessible to us. We can be near to Jesus. We can enjoy Jesus. And that's what we were created for, is to, is to Serve him to love him to know him to be, to be able to enjoy him, and we can. So if you if you really put this in the right perspective and you understand what's at stake here, this is the best news in human history. There's no other news like this. There's no other news that says you have the worst problem of all, and and you don't have to do anything to overcome it. God's already done everything. That's what this news is, and so it's the best news. It is. The best story. It's why we keep telling the story every single year at Christmas time, and then ultimately Easter, and all year long, hopefully. But let's get personal. I just want to ask you. I keep saying it's good news, but do you think it's good news? Is this good news to you? Let me let me read you John one verses nine through thirteen, because the reality is, is there might be people in here who think. I don't really need this news. This isn't it's not not that it's bad news, it's just it's not really a thing. I don't I don't really care that much. It's not interesting to me. I don't feel like I need this. Um or or maybe you think, no, this is bad news. I, I don't want to have anything to do with this type of news. This is a huge turnoff for me. Whatever you might think, I want you to hear that I know that there's some people that this is not good news for. And the scripture knows it too. It says the true light So Jesus entered the darkness of our world to, to come and bring light in a very dark place. So if you know the darkness of your sin, if you know the darkness of suffering, if you know, you know, like, um, just thinking about some of these people who, I don't know if you've seen videos of the, the, the damage that the tornadoes did in, in western Kentucky a couple weeks ago. I mean, just thinking about people well, some people obviously lost their lives, but some people lost their entire house just gone. I mean, you're thinking about the devastation, the darkness of that kind of situation. I mean, in, the reality is, is, we're all in sort of a situation like that. It's just that sometimes we are able to, you know, mask over it. But if you know the darkness, the, the, the lost hope that we have, then, then this is good news to you. New, the news of Christ's coming is the best news in the world. It's a silly illustration I'm about to use, but I think will resonate because I know everyone knows about Clark Griswold and his good old-fashioned family Christmas and how he wanted to have the brightest house in the whole neighborhood. And so he puts eight gajillion lights on his house and, and he goes through this, you know he checks each bold and he has Russ help him out, and and when he finally goes to light those lights, they don't turn on. He's got, I mean, it just doesn't work. And he's so frustrated because it just, no matter what he does, it, it doesn't work. And he wants so badly for his house to be so bright and cheery. And and then ultimately, you know how it goes, I mean, he um, Helen, his wife, goes to the garage and like flips a switch, and she figures out ultimately that that's what's keeping the lights from coming on. So the epic scene that we just saw, the picture there, is, is him holding the, the two cords together. And, uh, and as she flips the switch, the lights come on, and the hallelujah chorus plays. And it's just like this, you know, the, whole, the rest of the town loses power almost. But Clark's house is, is the brightest thing this side of the sun, right? And it's awesome. And Clark loves it. He's so happy. He's crying because he, he's been longing for, for his lights to come on. He's been longing for the light, and he finally sees it and, it, and it's just such a joy to him. He rejoices. But you know, there's oh, hang on, that hang on. I'm getting ahead of myself here for a second. John 12 46 says this Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And I hope you see the point. Jesus has come to drive the darkness out. And if you know darkness, if you know the darkness of your sin, then he's telling you, you're not going to stay there. He's going to bring you into the light, into the light of being near to him, of being in a relationship with him. And I hope that's good news to you. But there's other people, as we read in John 1, it says they don't recognize or receive the light. And so back to Christmas Vacation. There's next-door neighbors, right? Todd and Margot. They live next door to Clark, and as Clark is trying to get his lights on, they're in their house with the lights off. And then finally the lights come on, and all of a sudden these lights burst through their windows, and it's a shock to them, right? And, they, and it creates this scene of just disarray and destruction as they spill stuff on the carpet and trip over furniture and fall down the stairs, and you know, it, it, it's awful. They hate the light. And again, this is a silly illustration, but what it illustrates is is a tragic reality that is very true for our world, and that's this that there are many people in our world who do not welcome the light of Christ in their lives. They see Jesus and they think, No, thank you. That's not for me. Why is that? John 3 19 through 20 says. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And we're going to we're going to touch on that exposed part because that explains I think why people would not welcome Jesus into their lives. It is painful to come into the light of Christ. It is painful when you, when you meet Jesus, you meet a Savior who is full of grace and truth. That's what verse 14 says. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. glories of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. But, but the grace and truth of Jesus Christ are painful because they mean death. Death for our sin. Death for our, for our old selves. The Bible talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new, that, that Jesus makes us new creations. We can't meet Jesus and be the same. He will change us, and that can be painful at first. Here's why. Sin, when it is our master, it, it creates this sort of a, a Stockholm syndrome in us, right? Right? Where we start to, you know, we've been, it's captive for so long that we start to like it. And we start to even protect it. And that plays out in a number of different ways. One way that plays out is that we will we'll just not believe that our sin is actually sin. We'll say, you know, that's, that's offensive that you would say that something about my life is sin. We believe that we should determine what's right and wrong for us. But the truth is, is that authority belongs to one person. The one person we talked about at the beginning of this message, the logos, the word, Jesus Christ is the only one who gets to determine what's right and wrong for us. And when we talk about sin, by definition, sin is a transgression against God. It's not a transgression against us. And so if we're going to define sin, we need to let God be the one that defines sin. Because it's a transgression against him. So the second thing we do, though, if we're not denying sin, it's we're enjoying sin. We, we like it. It's fun. It makes us happy. We, we, we think it makes us happy. We don't want to stop. Why would we? It's fulfilling. And so we sin, and what we don't know is that sin is happily and slowly luring us into a slow death. Another thing we do is that we Maybe we know that sin is wrong, we, know, we hate our sin even, but we don't hate it enough to actually admit it or confess it. We're afraid that it'll, it'll damage our reputations, we're, we're afraid of being vulnerable. And so we hide it. We'd rather hide it than come clean. Coming into the light of Christ is painful. But it's painful in the same way as having life-saving open-heart surgery is painful. You know, nobody wants to be on a surgeon's table. I don't want to do that, ever. But why do we do it? We do it because we know, or we believe at least, that that surgeon is going to give us a better quality of life by cutting into us. And the good news of Christmas is that we don't just have a surgeon. We have a Savior. We have a Savior who is the Lagos, the, the, the person on whom the entire universe depends, is our Savior, If that person is our Savior, if he has that much power, if like right now he's literally holding the universe together just by his words, if he has that much power, if he has that much grace and mercy for us, that he would come and enter human history as a baby, then why would we not trust him? Why do we struggle so much to trust? Why do I struggle so much to trust him? It's It's a question that I hope we'll all consider tonight. Maybe it will be initially painful for us to come out of the darkness and into the light, but I I hope we all see how safe Jesus is. I hope that we all see how much we can trust Him, how kind and gentle of a Savior He is, that He's a Savior who died for us and then rose again from the dead for us and, and, and wants to wash us clean and give us everlasting life. That's the Savior we have. He's not a harsh Savior. He's not a taskmaster. He's the Word become flesh. He's the baby who came at the first Christmas, but it didn't stop at the manger. The manger points ahead to the cross. The cross points to the empty tomb, and the empty tomb is our guarantee that we have everlasting life in Christ. So maybe tonight, hopefully tonight, if you've never believed in Christ before, you've never trusted in Him before, I pray that tonight would be the night that you would admit how much you need him, and how good how good this news is to you, that he can and will redeem you, and, and that we can take him at his word, that he is the word become flesh, and he is worthy of our calling him our, our Lord. Let's pray together.